that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in And welcome back to Puck I Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Drew Gillis. We talked with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles as Ohio State prepares to take on Maryland on Saturday on Fox at noon. Big new kickoff. I'm, I'm sure it's a big new kickoff, kickoff game, right? If, if I'm getting that correctly. Not a big newsy day on Tuesday, but there was. Yeah, well, no. I doesn't mean big new kickoff is coming. It just means the game's at noon. But to your point. Not a big newsy day from Ryan Day and Jim Knowles, a little more tight lift than normal, but there was one big thing of news that was probably the most important thing that we needed to find out, even though it took about seven questions in for anybody to ask about it. But listen, shout out to Dan Hope for asking the question. Nathan, Ryan Day got asked if Marvin Harrison Jr. will be available on Saturday after hurting his ankle against Notre Dame. He did come back into that game, and he had a simple answer. What was that answer? Yep. I don't think there was really a lot of drama there. Um, due nope. diligence, you have to ask a question. But the fact that he came in and played that whole game, the fact that we saw him in the Woody last week, saw him again today out there um, with uh, – um, uh, why is the name escaping me? Reece right Stocksdale. Reece Stocksdale. Um, I had like 25 names running through my head right there, and none of them were Reece Stocksdale. <laughs> but I knew they weren't correct. Reece Stocksdale out there uh, on the Monarch machine with him, uh, his his usual companion for that. So uh, no reason to think that this is going to be a thing that lingers. Obviously, we'd ask the question anyway, but recent Ohio State history would also say, don't take anything for granted there. But Ryan Day, uh, obviously last year there was a back and forth every week of Willie or won't he with Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it sounds very definitive. Things are where they need to be for Marvin Harrison Jr., so not a not a, not the level of injury is going to keep him out for an extended period of time or or at all. It sounds like it's definitely helped that we've seen Marvin twice over the last two weeks. Not talked to him, but we saw him out there on the machine last week. He was doing more standstill stuff, and then we saw him on Tuesday afternoon as well. But you're right. there is a part of this is had we not seen Marvin, do you maybe okay? We'll see it when you we'll believe it when you see it on Saturday, just because of how last year played out with a yes Jackson Smith the Jigbo was the biggest one but he wasn't the only one like that where the injury situation was just such a plus but that's not an issue so far this year Marvin Harrison Jr. is expected to play on Saturday so outside of that news it was a lot of philosophical talk a lot of short yardage for Ryan Day talk so let's start with Day and we'll save the Jim Knowles blitzing conversation which Nathan will be writing about for the site we'll save that for the second part of this pod Andrew it's Probably the only real issue right now with this offense is their lack of being able to execute in short yardage situations. And Day got asked maybe four or five questions about the subject. I don't know if I would say that it's the only issue plaguing or plaguing this offense. I think that there are a lot of other things that you can you can kind of point to now. I think short yardage shows itself. Um, you know, some of these problems show itself in short yardage, like the offensive line. I think is an issue, but. I think the offensive line is an issue on first and 10 and not just, you know, third and short or second and short or whatever. Um, You know, so there's a lot going on there with the offensive line. I I thought what was interesting that Ryan said was he didn't, he, he, he mentioned it's a problem and he didn't really want to give away too much of what he said. Somebody asked him, you know, can you pass out of that? Um, Which I'm sure, you know, Steven was just 
crying happy tears of in the front. Tony Gerdman is a man after my <laughs> own heart asking that question. Correct. Uh, but somebody asked him, you know, can can you pass out of that? And, you know, Ryan gave a very basic, generic, you know, cookie cutter answer, which was, you know, we'll do whatever we can to get the first down. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what percentage I should have looked this up um, before we did this. I don't know what percentage they're at at like third and inches, third and one, third and two. But he said that they want to be at 80 percent when they when they hit that when they hit that area of the field, when they hit those plays, because, you know, you saw it in the Notre Dame game. I thought the Notre Dame game was a really good example where there were drives where Ohio State, you know, you're playing a really good defense and there were drives where Ohio State would move down the field and then you hit a wall, both, I guess, maybe figuratively and metaphorically, because, you know, you run, you have that play at the goal line where you get stuffed on uh, the second and third and goal and you don't really get much. And then on fourth and goal, you roll McCord out and, it just kind of became predictable. So I'm curious to see, I don't know what kind of changes you could see from deployment on those downs. I'm curious what kind of things you can see style. I mean, do you run out of the gun? Do you throw more? Like there, there's a lot of different things that I think you can do. Um, you know, I've kind of maintained this whole time, uh, much to Steven's chagrin, that you do have to run the ball. You do have to get a push on the offensive line at some point. There is a point where you have to where you have to run the ball and say, you know what, we need a yard. Let's go get a yard. So I'm curious to see how this uh, how how this all plays out against Maryland. And you know, I mean, what what do they? I think what they do formation wise and play call wise is just as interesting of whether or not they get it or not. Nathan, I thought it was interesting. He actually got a couple of questions about QB. That's actually how things started off. David Biddle was asking about QB sneaks and how often they haven't actually done that this year and how much they've been. Day says they've practiced it. Obviously, they used it a lot with Justin Fields. He brought up J- Jalen Hurts and what the Philadelphia Eagles do with that tush-push play, which as a person who has DeAndre Swift on his fantasy football team, it's been very irritating to watch that play out but that's that's a podcast for another day but he brought up the, no, not. there were <laughs> no one wants to hear a podcast about your fantasy team it is not a podcast for another day not one i'm gonna i be didn't on. say it was another yeah i didn't say it was another buckeye talk podcast for another day but it is a podcast somewhere but anyway he he talked about how much they did it with cj it was justin fields they did it sparingly with cj stroud and i think they maybe have only done it once or twice with Kyle McCord, they may have done it, I think, against Akron in 21 and maybe one other time this year. But that conversation, is that something that maybe Ohio State should explore more? The Just the simple, it's third and one, just QB sneak it. And just the thoughts that Ryan Day had to say about that approach. You know, I'm I'm a bigger fan of the QB sneak as opposed to, I don't know, a jet sweep on fourth and goal from the one or whatever they tried against <laughs> Notre Dame. I, I am I am a favorite fan of the more direct approach as much as I definitely try to press for being unpredictable. There is something to be said for, as I think, Andrew, you pointed out recently, the shortest distance between two points. And it's, it's just one yard. And nothing frustrates me more. Uh, trigger warning, Bears fans. Nothing frustrates me more than having like a fourth and one and going shotgun or going with like a pitch outside or whatever and they just seem to never ever ever work uh, unless you've schemed it up in some way that makes that very well disguised 
And I think that Ohio State, in most cases, against most opponents, if it's fourth and one, you should be able to get that yard pretty directly. And I don't think it's a toughness thing to go to, to bring that back up. I just think it's an execution thing. And because they're, they're plenty tough enough to make blocks at other places on the field. They made a lot of tough blocks on the Trevion Henderson 61-yard touchdown run, for instance, whether that was offensive lineman or whether that was Marvin Harrison Jr. on the outside. So I, I am a definite proponent. And especially now you have a quarterback who you, I think, probably feel is a little bit better suited to that than C.J. Stroud was. Although Kyle McCord does already have on tape one time this year where he uh, didn't run the right way on a, on a play near the goal line and it didn't look real great. So there's some nuances there for him to figure out too. It's it's probably more of an art than uh, it is just brute strength down there. But I, I'm definitely a proponent of it. It's I think it's it's just a matter of whether they're running with their quarterback, whether they're handing it off to any number of running backs, Mayan Williams, Chip Trainum, whether they get Trevian Henderson try to do it. I think you've just got to get a better push there. You've got to get uh, a better better movement, better displacement of some place on that defensive line. And uh, I use the term fool's gold coming out of Western Kentucky to describe some some things. And I thought they, they answered that pretty well against Notre Dame and in some other areas. But the one thing that does seem a little bit fool's gold-ish to me coming out of Notre Dame is converting the big goal line touchdown play when your opponent only had 10 guys on the field and running it where they only had 10 guys. That that still doesn't necessarily prove a an accomplishment against what has been your biggest Achilles heel. So that still lingers. I don't know if it'll come up against Maryland, but it, you know it's going to come up at least once in some of these other just monster games that are lingering on the schedule. And it's something that has to get um, solved by then. Ohio State might be one of the only teams in the country where a team would rather have you be in third and two than to be in third and seven because they're fine on third and seven. I mean, Kyle McCord converted a third and 19. And it was pretty pretty quality. But for some reason, the closer they are on third down is a problem. I'm wondering, because they also got asked some questions about Kyle McCord. I was one of those people asking the questions. But I wonder how much this is game five of Kyle McCord as your starter now. He's your legitimate starter. You've had two weeks to prepare for this game. How much more, just from a concept standpoint, we see from the offense and where the first four weeks, it was maybe a little bit more simple. And it was... Brian Day once again banging his head up against the wall trying to get this run game going. I wonder if we just see more from this offense in the passing attack that one prevents them from having these this many third and shorts because they've also just had a lot of third and shorts, which is almost put more of a magnifying glass on a problem that's already becoming a big deal. But I am wondering how much more there that Brian Day, Brian Hartline, and this coach offensive coaching staff is trusting in Kyle McCord to put the ball more in his hands in those situations where to Andrew you mentioned a minute ago it gets asked can you just throw out of that well maybe you didn't want to do that as much the first four weeks while you were trying to figure stuff out and then you're also trying to get through a big game but I am wondering if going forward we see the passing game start to click a little bit more to where they do start to throw out of that for lack of a better way of putting it in those situations well I think when you talk about throwing out of it 
you raised a really good point right there because the quickest way to avoid something bad from happening is to not put yourself in that position, right? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the thing that, you know, everybody, everybody always loves to say it's, oh, well, you got to win third downs. Okay. Well, you got to win fourth downs and especially those kind of short yardage plays. Okay. Well, don't put yourself in those situations, you know, get, I wonder if they start to flip it a little bit and I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. You know, I don't, I don't know their, their pass rates on first down or anything like that, but you know, maybe you become a little bit more traditional and kind of old school in that sense where maybe on first down you, you run it a little bit more and you try and get yourself to a second and six, maybe with a lighter box and, you know, you have more of the field and, you know, you can do that. You get to yourself, you get yourself a second and six, and then you basically look at it and say, we've got two plays to get six yards and you can kind of avoid that. I, I don't know. There's that's just kind of spitballing. There's a lot of ways to get out of this. And I'm curious to see what they do. But like you said there, it doesn't just because you have a problem on third and short doesn't mean that there's one fix to it. And it doesn't even mean it's a play calling thing or a schematic thing. There, there's a there's a couple different ways that you can you can figure this out and that you can fix this. So, yeah, the the Maryland game I think is going to be interesting because uh, you know Ryan also got asked today. You know, are, are you at the point now where you feel you can start to, you know, in the first four weeks of the year, you know, you maybe looked at Comacord as we can't just throw everything on this new guy on this you know first year starting quarterback. And are you past that point now where you said you know okay we're not we're not viewing it that way anymore. And Ryan didn't say yes. Ryan didn't say that they were past that. You know, he he talked about growth with McCord, which I thought was a little interesting that he he didn't just outright come out and say it. Um, so maybe I, I think that there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, and as they say, and and I think that in terms of getting out of bad situation, the 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 best way to get out of a bad situation is to not put yourself in one in the first place. So yeah, I'm I. I I think that in terms of throwing the ball, we might just see this team really start to air it out here pretty soon. I've never understood that analogy. There's more than one way to skin a cat. What does that mean? Because Uh, how are there there multiple multiple ways to skin an animal? I'm not going to give it away. You have to order my book, The Other Nine Ways to Skin a Cat. (laughs) <laughs> available in uh you know ebook or paperback or uh as as read by me mm. is now is, is the audiobook voiced by you it is it's it's voiced good. by me okay, but good. i do separate voices for the cats as they're being skinned correct good okay is that's the what cat i want high pitch or low pitch and it does I, the cat have Steven, an attitude I'm not giving this away. Like, why would I? Why would I? Yeah, it's fair. Why would it, yeah, it's fair. you gotta keep. You gotta link, leave something. Link on my link on Look, my bio. I, yeah, there you go. I I do feel like with Stephen and I, it is very much one of those college professors sells you a textbook and it has their name on the front because they're the author. So I feel like we have to buy it. Um, I would tell everybody else to buy it, but I feel like we have to. So looking right. forward to finding out the other nine ways. Well, there's at least nine ways that obviously the scam here is the other other <laughs> nine ways that I'll come down a few few years down the road. It's just a blatant cash grab. I hate those types of sayings. They're always weird to me. It, 
Nathan, I don't even know. I started this, and so I have to blame only myself for why this got off the rails here. But anyway, Nathan, what are we expecting from Kyle McCord going forward? Just in terms of he's won the job. He's four games into this, really five if you add in the Akron game in terms of games he started. He's coming off of a big game. He's building a level of confidence. What should we expect to see if we compare it to maybe where Justin Fields was in 2019 going into game five and where C.J. Stroud was coming into game five or whenever he came back from that shoulder thing? Should we be expecting a similar takeoff here, I guess, for a lack of a better way of putting it, from Kyle McCord with this offense? You know, I don't know. It, that's a hard comparison to make because the the offensive line is such an X factor still right now. Mm-hmm. Well, the success that he will have, not only this week, but, but certainly against Penn State, certainly against Michigan, the performance of the offensive line is going to be such an X factor. The performance of the run game is going to be such an X factor. So I know what you're getting at. I just, it's a difficult... Yeah. It's a difficult comparison for me to make because they're not, they're very dissimilar personnel in some ways when you make these two year jumps. Uh, I will say, you know, for Fields, Fields, it seemed, he seemed to settle in much quicker, was playing on the best team of any of these guys we're talking about, right? Like 2019 mm-hmm. Ohio State team is the Without best question. team of, of any of these so far, top to bottom. And I think that helped. The schedule helped. It was, you got to ease into it a little bit, even more so than McCord did, certainly more than Stroud did. And he had, like, I know he only played a, a package at Georgia, but he played a lot at Georgia that first year. Didn't necessarily throw the ball around a lot, but he played a lot that first year at Georgia. So all of those things maybe helped give him the best standing, you know, coming up on the halfway point of his freshman year. And Stroud, he only started to, you know, get it going approaching the midway point of that freshman year. It was, you know, around game five, six, that things really clicked in for him. What I think I'm intrigued to see about McCord is, you know, he obviously everybody dreams as a kid about winning a game like what he just did at Notre Dame. Like you're down, backs against the wall, on the road, top 10 team. You're trying to win a national championship. You lose this game. That really, you know, confuses things at best. And you go out and lead the touchdown drive. You make the third 19 throw. Like all those things are you know, huge, like part of a, a, it's, it's a, it's a performance. that's going to live on in Ohio state lore, right? He's already Mm -hmm. checked that box, but he didn't come here to beat Notre Dame. He came here to win a big 10 championship. So what did he do in these first four games? I think there's something to be said for everything that was, he didn't have this job to start the year. There was a guy right on his tail. Mm -hmm. This, as much as he was getting all the, the, the bulk of the snaps and everything, he did have to, in the back of his mind, he's kind of admitted it. Like, you know, there was a difference in his emotional state, his mental state. Once Ryan day finally pointed to him and said like, okay, it's you, like you're the guy. So I think there's probably a day uh, of last week where he probably needed to just like flush it and like get away from things and let the emotions Mm -hmm. fully come back to to normalize a little bit. And then I think it's about, you know, being self-critical about those first four games. I think there's plenty to, to look at from there. And, uh, but then most importantly, it's it's you know, devising, you know, getting really into the game plan. You get like the the Maryland game has some level of danger to it. They're undefeated for a reason. I don't think they're as good as Ohio State. I don't think they're as good as Notre Dame. Uh, I don't think they're as good as the other 
better teams coming up on a high state schedule, but it's not a zero on the danger scale, right? So you've got an extra week to prepare for Maryland. The Maryland doesn't get to prepare for you. How do you, you know, what is your plan of attack? Can you maximize, use that extra week to fully maximize what is going to take to just really emphatically put away Maryland? That's a thing that we haven't seen them do to any of the power five teams they've played so far. It's only been a couple, I know, only two. But, you know, you'd like, that's, I think, maybe the next step is for this offense to come out and just like really hit early, get off to a really strong start. I think, and he's part of that, like him coming out and executing is part of that. So among the things, like all they wanted to do was be 4-0 after these first four games and win at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And they found a way to do that however they did it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still real areas of growth. And to me, that's one of them. Like, can this offense go against a team like Maryland, which is a fine team, but this mm-hmm. is kind of one of those games where Ohio State is supposed to maybe show the difference between a fine team and what they are striving to be, which is one of the four best teams in the country at worst. There's almost that where we saw Fields and Stroud get to that efficient explosiveness that we saw from the offense that I think has been missing from Kyle McCord. And the reasons why we, we've pointed out plenty of times, so I'm not going to run those down again, but it's your job now. And you've had two weeks, as you said, Nathan, to prepare for this game. So does it click? A guy that's only got six touchdowns, like his numbers, his yards, per, his yards, his you know completion percentage, they're up there with some of the best, better quarterbacks in the Big Ten. He's just lagging behind the touchdowns. And that's also got some reasons to it, whether it's Marvin Harrison Jr.'s had a couple of touchdowns taken off the board, either because a defensive player took the DPI or because they literally took it off the board against Indiana. He's got Emeka Buka dropped one against Notre Dame, and then it's another one where if Emeka Buka just falls backwards, then there is no chip train them touchdown run at the end of that game. It's just a touchdown pass. So the opportunities are there, but can we start to see those get maximized against a team like Maryland, who at the same time, and we'll get into this on a Thursday pod, but excuse me, the Friday pod, but Maryland's going to try to turn him over. They're going to try to, you know, get after him a little bit and, you know, wreak some havoc out there. So this is almost a a quality. I think the Notre Dame game for Kyle McCord was as much about the environment in which he was going to be in as much as it was about the level to the opponent. It's like, can you, Andrew, I think you said this, can he handle all of this that's going to be going on around him? And he handled it pretty well especially in the last 86 seconds of the game. He handled it. But I think from a football standpoint, just because of what some of the stuff that Maryland wants to do defensively, and they have done successfully so far, even if it has been against lower-level opponents, this is more of a can he handle it from just a football standpoint when a team is going to try to turn you over, and can you be, as I said, explosive efficiency, is which, which is what we've come to know Ohio State's quarterbacks to be. So far, that hasn't been there for the offense. Can that start to take off this week against Maryland? Well, and and let's say, you know, I mean, I we knew going into the Notre Dame game that, you know, Notre Dame was going to try some deep shots or we thought they were going to try some deep shots. I don't know if Notre Dame went into that game and said to themselves, forget that, we're just going to try to run the ball. I think that that was just kind of what Ohio State forced them into. Um, now Notre Dame did run the ball effectively. This is a unique challenge because, you know, I think Maryland – frankly, is probably the third best team that they're going to play the rest of the year, like behind Penn State and Michigan. Um, I, I would I, Maryland is, yeah. is probably right there with Wisconsin for me. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's time, sidebar, Buckeye talk, I think it's time we start talking to our children about nine-win Maryland. Um, 
because Maryland's got Ohio State this week, then they got Illinois at home, and then they have a bye week. That so they could get to what are they five and zero now? They can get to six and one, and then their final games of the year at Northwestern, Penn State, at Nebraska, Michigan at home, which that one's going to be interesting, and then at Rutgers. Maryland might win nine this year. Like Maryland, Maryland's got a really good offense, and they might win nine games this year. So Maryland to me is is the perfect game coming out of the bye for Ohio State because they are like the best of the next tier, right? Like assuming that we're putting Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan into this upper bucket, Maryland is, I think probably that next tier right i i mean are you going to take anybody like maryland i think would win the west i think if maryland was was that do we think that maryland could get to indianapolis if they were playing in the west absolutely absolutely i do i think that they actually i mean they have an offense whereas you know iowa lol and you know i wisconsin has players who play offense that's correct yes (laughs) yeah they allegedly (laughs) send 11 players out there to play offense um Wills, I, I mean, maybe they're just doing a Notre Dame thing and nobody's counting where they're just sending 10 out there every play and that's their problem. But, um, you know, Maryland, I think, is a really good test because they're, like I said, they're the best of the next tier, I think. And more than that, they are an explosive team and Talia is an explosive quarterback. So, I mean, all right, what happened? Maryland gets the ball first and Ohio State gets the ball and they're down 7 nothing. And Ohio State mounts this great scoring drive and Common Accord looks great. And then it's a one play 75 yard touchdown for Maryland because something happens on Ohio State's back end. Obviously, that's a conversation that we will have about the defense. But this is a game where you you might have, you know, quick strikes. Hey, I just tied the game up or I just took the lead. And now Maryland cut it cut into the lead or they tied it up again like how again, it, it's it's all about for me with McCord. How do you respond and and what kind of things do you do? against they're not going to be the most talented secondary that you faced I think Notre Dame was probably the best one that they'll have faced at least until Penn State at least um so how, how do you respond to that when the other quarterback across the field is he's hanging points too I mean the up the over under on this game is like 57 and a half right now I know it's 19 and a half is the spread but um there's there should be some points scored in this game and and how do you handle that when when you have to keep going back out there and kind of answering the bell the other thing for McCord too though is Every time he plays, you know, we'll get into Jim Knowles later talking about Tagovailoa and talking about Maryland, but they've seen a lot of Talia Tagovailoa over the years. Like, this is the third or fourth time they'll have played Tagovailoa now in his Maryland career. And Mm -hmm. teams are getting their first look at Kam Accord, but they're getting their second, third, fourth, fifth look at him now on film. It, like that, that library is mm-hmm. starting to build. So what corrections are you making over things that happened in the first four weeks? Because if someone sees something that you've done, like you, your, your mistakes can't really carry forward at this point. Like you can't mm-hmm. have vulnerabilities that you don't have an answer for. Some of that, I'm sure that they will adjust little game plan things here. Oh, like he doesn't, doesn't see that play as well. That doesn't work as well for some other reason. I don't know. But on those just the fundamental things, like you've got to probably rough the edge, uh, smooth out the rough edges a little bit because you're getting late enough in the season that teams are going to start seeing something show up on film multiple times and try to exploit it. We'll get into Jim Knowles and the defense because he did have some things to say about Talia and also Nathan. Like I said, Nathan's going to be writing about the defense and Jim Knowles' philosophy so far through four games here. So we'll get into that 
when we come back here from the break on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Sign up for the text 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial that will get you through the Maryland game and it will get you through the Purdue game. And since you're listening to this on a Wednesday, it'll get you through the press conference ahead of the game after the Purdue game as well, which I'm pretty sure that's the Penn State game. Yeah, it is the Penn State game. So listen, sign up for the text. On Tuesday, Andrew was sending out texts from what Day and Knowles had to say. We send out texts when we get the players. We send out texts when we get Ryan Day on his lightning round on Thursday. We send out texts for surveys for big pods and stuff like that. We send out recruiting texts on Fridays when Andrew is going off. We send out a lot of texts. I promise you it's going to be worth it. Two-week free trial, $3.99 after that, 614-350-3315. Nathan, you were asking – Jim Knowles, you asked Day too about the explosiveness too, but you re- you're getting at something with Jim Knowles this week in the fact that through four games, there has been a clear philosophy shift in how much he has blitzed so far this season. What were you asking Knowles about that? What's just some, what are you trying to get at with this conversation that you were having with Knowles today on Tuesday? Well, I think, yeah, so the end result so far has been the reduction of the thing that was the biggest problem last year, which is giving up explosive touchdowns. It's only four games, but mm-hmm. they've allowed only a couple touchdowns and the longest touchdown they've allowed, I believe I trouble checked this like a couple times because I didn't think it was true. The first time I saw it, I thought I, I must've been forgetting something. I don't think they've allowed a touchdown over two yards so far this year. Now, again, only four games, not that many touchdowns, but that is still an improvement over last year. And if you actually look at the number of big plays that they've been giving up, the plays of like 10 or yard, 10 yards or more, that hasn't necessarily come down. They are doing pretty well at the number of 20-yard plays that they've allowed or more. But it's the fact that they're not resulting in touchdowns. That was really the backbreaker last year. I thought they showed from the first game of the year, you know, Notre Dame breaks off a big play. They keep them out of the end zone, though, and force them to kick a field goal. Like that is supposed to maybe happen sometimes. Like something slips mm-hmm. up, you get you keep that guy from the end zone. The, the oldest cliche in football, the touchdown saving tackle, because they're all touchdown saving tackles. But you keep that guy out of the end zone, and then you you make them earn whatever they get from that point on. It's not just a free roll to the end zone, and that was just happening too much last year in the biggest games of the year. So my question for Jim Knowles today was. Okay, so that is happening. And for Ryan Day, it's like, okay, so that's happening. You're you're not allowing those explosive touchdowns. But obviously, you always didn't want to allow explosive touchdowns. There there had to be another goal in mind as far as what you want your defense to be for and that's why you had the previous philosophy where you were more aggressive. You were willing to blitz more. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I'm still compiling it. I'm hopefully going to have like a kind of a blitz trend for Ohio State this year. It has noticeably come down o- over the span of even just this season, even comparing last year to, to this year. But you did that for are, what else are you liking about how this defense is playing? Because I think to to say, well, it's it's we're not allowing the defensive touchdown, so everything is solved. I don't know that that's necessarily true in and of itself. I think you've got to be seeing other things that you like about this defense, and I think those things are there. For instance, they have allowed the fewest red zone trips of any defense in the country. I think it's six red zone mm-hmm. appearances for opponents through four games. You know, uh, Notre Dame had two, and they scored off both of them, but they also had the the other only other scoring chance they had in that game. They had to try to kick a long field goal and they missed it. Like they, you know, Ohio State has done a really good job of, it's not just the explosive touchdowns. It's just 
not letting opponents even really kind of get within a threatening range. And when you start to look at things like that, we can quibble about the sacks. We can quibble about some success that Notre Dame had with the tight ends over the middle of the field. But when you're not giving up explosives and you're not letting teams in the red zone, there's really not much else. Like you, all the other stuff doesn't really matter that much. If teams can't get in the in the red zone and they can't get explosive touchdowns on you, you just won the whole thing, basically. Like that's that's all that college football defense is. I'm actually really excited to read the story now. You guys should go check out the story too at cleveland.com slash OSU because that's going to be a very interesting story. Andrew, another thing that was brought up today is because it's the first time we've talked to these guys in two weeks since the Notre Dame game, but it's it's going to be a topic of conversation until they play somebody else of Notre Dame's caliber, right? And that's the fact that JT Tuimaloau and Jack Sawyer played all 65 snaps. We didn't see Kenyatta Jackson at all. We saw Caden Curry as a fullback, which <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I want to ask Dan about that on Thursday when we get him for the lightning round because that's such a random thing to do. But, but we didn't really see him out there for any meaningful, in any meaningful way on defense. Because we didn't get Larry Johnson. And right now, Jim Knowles, whenever we ask about defensive line stuff, he always defers to Larry Johnson, of course. Nathan and I had this conversation recently. Is what we saw against Notre Dame a product of, because Knowles did get asked this, is that a product of the way the game was going, the flow of the game, how things were turning out? Or is that a sign of what we should expect from the defensive line rotation or lack thereof? when they're playing a Penn State and when they're playing a Michigan and maybe even Maryland for the first, at least first half of this game. It was a sign of what you're going to see because I think in a game like that, you can't waste possessions and you can't waste plays and you can't waste drives. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, how many times have we heard Ryan Day sometimes to like to the to, you know, we've pointed out like you got to stop talking about this. Like you got to figure out a fix for this. The, the the answer can't just be we're not scoring because the clock is is different and the clock rules are different. But they are, and, and there are less possessions and there are less drives. And in a game like that, especially one where Ohio State scores a game-winning touchdown with 59 minutes and 59 seconds into the game, and you need every second to beat a team, you don't want to be in a position where, okay, yeah, you know what, you, you need those guys on the field, you need JT and Jack on the field, because look, look at what JT can get you on the last drive of the game, look at what JT can give you. However, you also don't want to be in a position where, you know, you take those guys out and then all of the sudden a, you know, you, you give those, you know what, hey, we're just going to take them out for a breather. It's the second quarter. It's fine. You also don't want to be in a position where those guys leave the game and then all of the sudden Notre Dame mounts a scoring drive or Penn State mounts a scoring drive or Michigan mounts a scoring drive. And then you gave up a touchdown in a game where seven points is very, very big. And, you know, that to me, I think that this is it, – it is not a sign of what you're going to see against Michigan State, against Minnesota, against Rutgers, against Purdue, or at least it shouldn't be. If it is, there's bigger issues at hand. But that's a thing for me that I just look at and I say, okay, when you play a team of that caliber, this rotation is going to get real, real short, real, real fast. We speculated after the game whether – the fact that there was a bye week, if that was any factor in this, that you could you know, expend guys more knowing they had the extra week of recovery. I talked to Mickey Marotti last week, strength coach Mickey Marotti, for this article I wrote about Tyleek Williams that's on the site. People want to go read that, kind of looking into the transformation he made. But 
And I, I just happened in the course of that conversation, I asked him, Hey, you know, like all these guys played a lot. Like, was that by design? And he's not involved in personnel decisions from a strategic standpoint. What they will do is talk to sports science people sometimes about the workloads that guys have been taking in practice, whether that means they need to work less in the next practice, things like that. They're, they're conscious of those sorts of things. But he indicated there not there wasn't a conversation with that involved him about the fact that maybe they could back guys off the next week so that it was okay to play a bigger workload this week. You know what I mean? That it wasn't, I didn't get the impression that that was a, a workload management from the bye week sort of thing. I really think, and it, I, it probably harkens more to Ryan day was telling us this was coming uh, back in the spring, back in the preseason and off season, like telling us, Hey, like we, I, I think, you know, there were criticisms out there. Uh, criticisms might be the strong word. I, I think there were questions as to why sometimes Ohio State's best defensive linemen weren't on the field at the end of games. That okay, we understand. Like you're you're measure, you're managing a workload. Why aren't the best guys out there late in games? And I think that was the point that Day thought was made that day. And I think I agree with him that not only could you play. You know, JT Tuomaloa and Jack Sawyer for 60, all 65 snaps. But JT Tuomaloa still has enough in the tank to make the two biggest defensive plays of the game late in the game. I think that's something that Ryan Day would probably have argued, hey, this is a special guy. Like, we went and recruited this level of athlete for a reason. He needs to be on the field a lot, and he needs to be out there in crunch time. And and Tyleek Williams, to, to another extent, too. I mean, he was making big plays throughout that game. He was a guy... I, I led my story with this. Like he, he gets a double team on that last snap of the game, the one second snap for Notre Dame. So he gets double teamed. The pass goes out like five yards downfield. He starts to chase that down, gets over there. The lateral goes back 10 yards to Hartman. So now he goes down and tackles Hartman as he's making this, throwing the ball over his head for a, a second illegal forward pass that basically ended the game. Like it, he's doing that on 56 out of 65 snaps. A guy who had real conditioning questions not that long ago. Um, certainly as, as recently as last year, conditioning questions and, and was coming and said last week or two weeks ago that he was still maybe bothered by that knee injury that he had in preseason camp. So I think there has been a, an eye opener here as far as internally what the expectations are. And I think I agree with Andrew that I, I don't know that you maybe have to expend them against Maryland and Purdue, but I would expect the usage barring injury to look like this against Penn State and look like this against Michigan and look like this in a Big Ten championship game if they get there and certainly look like this in a playoff game if they get there, I think. Now, the the, the X factor there also being that the two guys that we're talking about on the ends are still young guys. And mm -hmm. there may be a progression over the course of this year that gets Kenyatta Jackson to a place where like, okay, like there isn't as much of a, a gap now we want him to give JT Tumaloa that breather in the second quarter, the first series of the second quarter. I, I totally see that being on the among the possibilities that unfold. But I also think that we are seeing um, a, a level of play from JT Tumaloa just athletically. I know he doesn't have any sacks. I know he doesn't have any sacks. But to, in the totality <laughs> of his performance, I think you're seeing things from him that they want on the field maybe for 100% of the snaps if they can get away with it. Of course, the sack conversation was part of Tuesday's festivities because 
Ohio State is among the worst in the country when it comes to generating sacks right now. The Florida Atlantic, North Texas, East Carolina, Sam Houston State, Iowa, and Tulsa, and Virginia. That's the conversation they're in right now when it comes to sacks. So if you just look at the raw number of number of sacks, it's like, okay, this team, this defensive line is not getting the job done. But then there's also, and I think this is the way the question was posed to Jim Knowles as well, is there's also other metrics that you look like in the defensive line has been kind of awesome at getting pressure, looking at stop rates, stuff like that. And so it led Jim Knowles to say something that I'm not really sure what it means. <laughs> Maybe one of you know what it, know what he means by this. The first thing he said was, when I was younger, I put more emphasis on sacks, on the actual number of sacks, which he said that he's, as he's gotten older, he's grown out of that a little bit. But he used the term, Nathan, coordinated pressure, I think is what he said, Nathan. Yeah, okay. yeah, coordinated pressure. And I think he's just referring to the concept of minding your gaps, minding your responsibilities, right? Like not getting out over your skis a little bit in your pursuits and making sure that you're mm-hmm. not that you're in the place where you're supposed to be because the whole point of creating the pressure is is moving Talia Tagovailoa to a place where you have another defender who can then make the play. It's not a, a wild scramble. Once you, when you let yourself, um, when you open yourself to a wild scramble, I thought we saw that on occasion early last season. I'm thinking yes. of uh, Daquan Finn. Uh, Finn from Toledo. I'm thinking yes. of some other episodes early last year where they were pretty close to getting some sacks, but there was also, you know, a there were there were lanes left wide open for those quarterbacks to make some escapes. I think that's what they're trying to avoid. Uh, again, Tagovailoa is not a. I would not call him a dual threat quarterback. I wouldn't mm-hmm. call him athletic enough to, um, if you tie him up downfield and 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 leave an opening, he can take it. I guess probably a little like Kyle McCord, right? Kyle McCord is not a dual threat quarterback, but can can run enough. That you know he's not plodding down the field. He can he can turn a scramble into a first down, not with not much difficulty. So I think that's what he's talking about is just just being sound in your responsibilities and uh, not uh, not oh not not being too aggressive even after the snap in a way that leaves you vulnerable to him breaking something off. Talia is not a elite athlete i think he might be the best athlete they faced so far because i think he's a better athlete than sam hartman even if it's only like 10 percent better i think he's a better athlete there and then it's like is he a better athlete than just maybe drew aller i don't think he's a better athlete than jj mccarthy is but we don't know what drew aller is still early in that career but i think this game i think it, it matters that he said that this week because talia did do that some last year and even at 21 where he was able to escape and buy time so andrew i think this is an important week for that if because the last couple of times ohio state's played maryland they've been able to get after the quarterback it's just sometimes Salia's just been able to get free but they've also maybe racked up some sacks so in the conversation of where are the sacks how come jt he's doing all this other good stuff but he didn't have sacks Whereas the Sack Sawyer that we thought we were going to get this year, maybe this is the week we see it because you're going to play against a quarterback who does like to buy time, but you also have to make sure and you have to do it in a coordinated way. If you're going to go after the quarterback and he's able to escape the rush, you're leaving yourself vulnerable in the secondary. So that's obviously that's what I think he's saying. You know, when he talks about a coordinated rush, where it's 
all right, the the pass rush has to get after the quarterback in a manner that is either sack or the ball's coming out. And, you know, you, you can't just kind of send guys after him one wave after the other, and it's very scattered. Because if you do that, then Talia gets outside the pocket, and then all of a sudden, you know, what was a five-step drop and a three-second, you know, snap to throw now becomes six. And then you invite defensive penalties, you invite big gains, and, and that's the problem. So I'm curious to see what they do. I, I'm curious to see how they how they get after the quarterback because, you know, you're right. I think. You know, this is a game where the quarterback's going to hang on to the ball. You know, this is we when we talked about Western Kentucky, what do we say? All right, it's going to be one, two, boom, and the ball is coming out. And with Maryland, I, it's not going to be that way. Um, you know, they're going to he's going to if, if it means that they can get an explosive play out of it, Tilly is going to hold on to the ball. So, you know, I, I'm curious what kind of blitz packages they send, if if many. Um, you know, but because there's also the other standpoint of like. If Talia can really get out to get outside the pocket and move, you don't want to send just four because if you are sending just four, then he gets outside the pocket, and then all of a sudden you're just inviting every play to last five or six seconds, and then he can throw the ball, and that's not what you want. So, you know, I, I think I think you could see an uptick in sacks this week, but frankly, I think the uptick in sacks this week it might not be as indicative of a strong defensive performance as it would be in other weeks. It got asked today and Maryland wants to have 12 explosive plays every game. I don't know if they've gotten the 12 every game, but I know they had nine last week. Ohio state's defense is in this conundrum right now of wanting to be the aggressor, but also not giving up explosive plays, but also not being a bend don't break defense, which it's a, it's a lot to wrap your head around because I think they actually just have been a bend but don't break defense <laughs> the first four weeks of the season, even if they're not trying to be. But that's because they're not getting off the field on third down as much as they need to get, get off the field. But is this game in a vacuum a better gauge of this Ohio State's defense than what Notre Dame provided simply because of the way Notre Dame, because of the way Maryland wants to attack you versus the way Notre Dame did attack you and what Ohio State wants to do defensively? Are we going to get a better sense of Ohio State's defense just because of the style of play? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Notre Dame is probably a better offense top to bottom than Maryland is. I think I I respect Notre Dame's running game more than I respect Maryland's running game. And that That's presented, true. you know, anytime you can do both of those things, when you come in and you're not one-dimensional, I think that is a, a problem for a defense. Uh, I, to me, I think it's, it's um, each, each guy that you play, and when you, this goes back to the conversation you and I had from Monday's pod, Stephen, like each of these three quarterbacks that we think are the, the clear three best left on this schedule. And, Tagovailoa, uh, Drew Aller from Penn State, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Like Each of these guys is unique to his abilities. Each one presents his own specific set of problems. Mike Loxley knows a thing or two about coordinating offenses. He's, he's done it with some, for some high-powered teams at, at Alabama. He knows what he's got going on back there, and he knows his quarterback. Like they've, they've built this program. They've built this offense around this guy over the last couple of years. So I think, to me, it is... The, when when you play a less less aggressive band, brand, uh, there's there's a give and a take there. So what is what has Ohio State been giving up, and what is Maryland going to try to take within that? I think what I'm intrigued by 
is the little wrinkles that Jim Knowles now sort of mixes in each week that he, you know, Ryan Day even alluded to it today. Like I was asking about how he and Jim Knowles sort of formed this new approach, this, this, uh, you'd call it just a tweak. It's still the Jim Knowles defense. They're just blitzing less than they have before. But like, how did they come to that? And he said, well, hey, you know, like Jim still has all those blitzes dialed up. Like he's going to still call all those blitzes at some point. Like he, he knows he's, he's, and Jim Knowles admits it, like he's itching to do it. So to me, it's like, it's, it's just less frequent, but when does he push that button? What, what's like the, the crucial play call? You know, there was discussion today about the, and it wasn't, I guess, Jim Knowles' call. He, he said that it was, it was Larry Johnson's, but the idea to flip JT to a Malowal from one side yeah. of the line to the other for those final plays against Notre Dame. And he happens to be over making plays, uh, uh, on the other side of the line, like the two most crucial plays of the game, just like little things like that, that, uh, that are, are coaching decisions that are now making up for the m- maybe more just aggressive assault that you're bringing on the blitz in, in past situations. I really can't wait till we get Larry Johnson. Cause I think that's going to be an interesting breakdown. If Larry Johnson decides to talk to us and also decides to give it to us, cause he tries to not give us a lot. Andrew, same question I posed to Nathan. I'm posing to you as well. No, I don't think so because I think Notre Dame does. I think Notre Dame runs the ball better than Maryland throws the ball, if that makes sense. And I think that the the talent up front is a bigger challenge. So I think that it's it's one of those things where what's what's the biggest challenge that you have to face? Notre Dame, like if you were to if you were to combine the best of the best with Notre Dame, you know, you could pick. Notre Dame's offensive line and Maryland's quarterback and Maryland's receiver, whatever, however you want to, however you want to divvy that up. I think that you still kind of end with Notre Dame's run game. If you had to compare that to the pass game, I'm not saying that you would rather run than pass, but I'm saying that Notre Dame's run game, I think was better and they were more physical. And, and that was, what was, what was the whole, th- like, I don't want to invoke his name again, but that was the whole thing with Lou Holtz and the whole thing with Ryan Day and the whole thing with all of this stuff was how tough is Ohio State's defense? How built Ford tough? You know, like the the blah, 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 blah. Get low, fire off, hat on a hat. Like, can they do that? Like, that was, that was, the, that was the conversation about Ohio State's defense and, frankly, Ohio State as a whole. It was like, can you play in a game – against a team that is this physical and against the team that is going to try to beat you up on both sides of the ball. And I understand, I, I just look at this as, you know, Notre Dame's offensive line and Notre Dame's run game is much more talent equivalent and much better at what they do than what Maryland tries to do in the past game. So this will be a test. Don't get me wrong. Like Maryland, I think can, can throw it a little bit, but the uh, look no further than the line. The line was three for that game. It, it you know was it kind of fluctuated between two and a half and three and a half. And I think it ended at three. And the line for this game is nineteen and a half. So the the talent is just not there for Maryland than it was for Notre Dame. Um, and I understand that like Notre Dame's receivers aren't very good, but I just think that their run game, their their running backs, their offensive line, their tight ends, their I, their quarterback. I, just I think that they just had too much talent to to make that comparison. Notre Dame's run game is better than Maryland's passing game. I think that's a a, a good way to put that. Anything else that stood out to you guys from either Ryan Day or Jim Knowles coming out of Tuesday? 
before we wrap up here? I'm going to take that silence as I a think no. we're good. Yeah. I was, I was running through it. <laughs> I was it. looking back over my notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, Listen, that's with me. I thought, I thought we hit on pretty much everything that, that was important. I, uh, I guess one thing I didn't, one thing that, you know, he got a lot, some questions today about, um, you know, the bracketed coverage that Marvin faced. And yeah. I, I, this is one area where I think the Notre Dame game could be the most instructive for comic court. That what did he when he went back and looked at you know all twenty two on a game like that? What did he see about times? I mean, to some extent they exploited it well enough because they won the game. That's the, really mm-hmm. the only standard I guess you would use at the end of a top ten game like that. But in other ways, I think they probably would look back and say, hey, like maybe we got a little bit heavy on our targets to Egbuka and. Stover, and maybe there were opportunities there for Fleming. Maybe there's a way to use the receivers out of the backfield when you know teams mm-hmm. are selling out their coverage on one side for Marvin. Like, so how instructive was that game to Kyle McCord and, and to the offense at large? And what did you know Ryan Day and Brian Hartland, everybody else see? But how can they make the next team that tries to do that pay for it a little bit more? I could see Maryland trying some of that. Ryan Day said. Something along the line, um, you know, um, basically that this this is a a really strong secondary. I can't remember exactly what he said, but um, sound up front, athletic in the backfield. The Maryland cornerbacks are excellent. He used the term excellent to describe Maryland's cornerbacks, and they lost some talent to the NFL draft last year, but they replenished they it. And we'll talk more, I guess, in depth about them later in the, the, the preview pod later in the week. But I could see if they're confident enough in the second cornerback that they're putting on the field at all times. That I think is the key to whether or not you're going to try that bracketed stuff, um, or or sometimes you're doing it with a linebacker too, so that that excuses a little bit. I just I, I if if teams have enough talent in the secondary, and I don't know how many teams left on the schedule will feel this way. Notre Dame clearly felt this way. They felt they had enough defensive backs that they could not get killed one on one. And if Maryland feels that way too, is it going to be another week where it's a struggle to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. Until and unless Ohio State finds a way to make them pay elsewhere, and do they find that solution faster? Because they did not find that solution really at all against Notre Dame. It wasn't not that they didn't find it fast. Like the, I know his he hurt his ankle, but he had like two, three targets before he hurt the ankle. Yeah, he, he was kind of a non-factor in the first half of that game. I don't think Ohio State wants to find itself in that position very much. So what is it doing to to preempt that? It, over this this two week span between the Notre Dame game and Saturday's game, yeah, his first target didn't come until halfway through the second quarter, so it, it had nothing to do with his ankle at that point. I am I, you put that on McCord. I think I'm going to put that on Dan Hartline and the coaching staff a lot more because yes, McCord's progression and how he reads and sees the field will also need to continue to develop. But I thought one of the few times where the offense combated what Notre Dame was doing to Marvin Harrison Jr. was on. Emeka Bukas dropped touchdown pass. They put him and Emeka on the same side, and they made the secondary choose what they were going to do. Are you going to double Marv and give us a wide-open touchdown to Emeka Buka, or are you going to play him on us, and you're going to get killed by Marv? They chose to double Marv. Emeka Buka had a touchdown. He just dropped it. And I am so I'm wondering, this is not going away. More teams are going to do this, to your point, Nathan. Maybe Penn State's the only team who, at least right now looking at the schedule, in the near future for October, 
has a secondary where they don't have to do it as much because they just believe that much in their talent. But everybody else, I'm pretty sure, is going to do this exact thing. So how does Kyle McCord go? But more importantly, what does Ryan Day, what does Brian Hartline, what does Tony Offer, what does this offensive coaching staff scheme up as a way to use the fact that teams are selling out on 18 to their advantage, whether it's scheming up ways to get him the ball or it's scheming up ways to just use him as a decoy that opens up for a Mecca Buka that opens up more for Julian Fleming that op- opens up more for Kate Stover, or maybe it's just getting the running backs more involved in the passing game as well. So I'm with you. It's, it's, this is not going away. What is Ohio State's offensive staff going to do about it to make sure it's an advantage, not a problem every single game? Because it's one thing to where, okay, Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't get a target until halfway through the second quarter. That might not be the only time that happens this year, depending on what teams do. It's another thing to go, Marvin Harrison Jr. hasn't had a target the entire game, and we're almost at halftime, and the passing game is just out of sorts because they have no idea what else where else to go with the ball. As you're listening to this, we'll be preparing to go talk with players on Wednesday night as we continue to prepare for Ohio State to face Maryland on Saturday. And sign up for text, 614-350-3315. I've got some ideas percolating on what the big pot is going to be. Nathan and Andrew don't know that yet. They will know that by the end of this evening, though. We're recording this on a Tuesday. They'll know that by then because you want to give them some time to prepare as well. But like I said, sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Continue to read the site, cleveland.com slash OSU. Or you can even say buckeyetalk.com. I think that one works as well. So do either one of those. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.